In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about faith in a time of plague. We have already been significantly affected by the situation with the coronavirus. Of course, this morning, we have taken the drastic step of canceling gathered worship because of the unknowns and the uncertainties around this virus, and because we think that loving our neighbor actually means right now doing everything that we can to slow and stop the spread of this virus, and particularly protect those who are most vulnerable. So as this situation plays out, as we seek to get a better understanding of what's happening with this virus, we want to keep being the church. And even if that means worshiping at home as individuals and with our families, we think it's still important for us to be engaged together, praying together. And so we're encouraging all of you to pray together, to use common prayer in this particular moment. Even though we're separated physically, our prayers, our worship actually unites us and joins us. Our common confession in Jesus brings us together, particularly in times like this. This past week has been quite remarkable as it became very, very clear that we have a crisis on our hands, one that is quite uncertain, one that still has lots of unknowns. Of course, UVA closed earlier in the week. Schools are closing. Uh, the financial markets have been in a free fall. Travel restrictions are in place. Many are working from home or will soon be working from home. And there's a very strong likelihood that the actual virus will affect some of us in this community or those that we know. We're learning terms that we've probably never heard of before, like social distancing, which is this practice that we're all being encouraged to take to slow the spread of the virus. Everyone is grasping for perspective in this moment, and understandably so. Um, no one right now can predict with any kind of certainty exactly how the spread of this disease, uh, what it will look like. Um, will two weeks from now look like Italy does today, a country that is on complete lockdown and one with a mounting death toll and a medical system that is completely overtaxed, we just don't know. We're living both with a pandemic and uncertainty. So I want to ask the question this morning, how should Christians respond to this disease, to this uncertainty around this disease? What, we sh what should we do? What should our, our, um, our posture be? There's lots of practical things that we can consider and should consider. We are called to love our neighbor. We hear this every week in our worship. This is very basic. We're to love the Lord our God, and we're to love our neighbor. So we should, uh, for example, as I mentioned before, we should have a particular concern for vulnerable populations and those who are at much higher risk um, to this disease. Uh, Christians have always cared for the vulnerable, the unborn, for children, for the elderly, for those who are on the margins, and we shouldn't stop now. So this means doing all we can do in the coming weeks and months to find practical ways to serve and love our neighbors, to slow down the spread of the disease, and to give special care for those in need. So you should be checking in on your elderly neighbors, um, checking in with your family members and your friends, 
be sure they're taking the right precautions and they have everything that they need. And insofar as you are healthy and able to serve and minister to those in need, please um, heed the call of Christ in this moment. Like, let's be the church in this moment. Um, Even under these extraordinary circumstances, when we can't gather together on Sundays, let's be the church right where we are, where we live, to our neighbors and those closest to us. Let's keep our ear to the ground to to needs that come up. Uh, The church has seen pandemics before, um, and much worse than what we're dealing with right now. And believe it or not, the church has actually thrived as a witness, as a place of refuge, as a source of hope in crisis like pandemics and plagues. It's interesting, if you look at the first three centuries of Christianity, plagues were a common occurrence. There were a series of epidemics that swept through the Roman Empire. Uh, in fact, this is something that historians and sociologists look at, and they marvel at how the Christian community was able to thrive when other institutions were exposed in times of such crisis. In the early centuries of the church, all around when these epidemics would break out, there would be mass panic and hysteria would set in. A one plague in the Roman Empire in the third century, at one point, historians tell us, was claiming at its peak up to 5,000 lives a day. Dionysius was the bishop of Alexandria in the third century, and he wrote that, quote, out of the blue came this disease, a thing more frightful than any disaster whatever. There was another bishop in another place, Carthage, named Cyprian, and he said that, quote, the just were dying along with the unjust, that is, Christians were dying along with non-Christians. Plagues and diseases are indiscriminate in whom they affect. And yet, the epidemic was an opportunity for the church to show its special witness to show how to embrace dying and death in a way that does not succumb to fear. The plague was a trial in the early centuries of the church, a hard one, but it was a trial that proved the Christian hope that not even disease, not even death, not even a plague has a last word. Dionysius, that bishop, he wrote that the high death rate terrified the pagans. Now, That's not a derogatory term. That's just a way to refer to non-Christians in this period. The pandemic that he experienced and witnessed and wrote about, it created hysteria for those who didn't know what to do. So many people who had the means, they fled the city or they just cowered in fear. A sociologist named Rodney Stark has written a wonderful book which recounts how this played out called The Rise of Early Christianity. And He's written about this particular phenomenon of how Christians responded differently through the epidemics in the first few centuries. So he writes this, and I'll I'll quote this uh, a bit at length here. He says, Thus, at a time when all other faiths were called to question, Christianity offered explanation and comfort. And even more important, Christian doctrine provided a prescription for actions. That is, the Christian way appeared to work because they didn't fear death, They entered into the misery of the plague and cared for their own and others, even at great risk to themselves, end quote. And Dionysius, again, the great bishop who lived and ministered in his time, he testified that Christians, quote, heedless of danger, 
and he took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease. So the lessons from the early church in an epidemic, I think, are twofold. Don't fear, but trust God. Christ has defeated death and suffered the plague of our sin. So we remembered that, that the ultimate enemy, death, has been defeated by the work of Christ. And that defeat of death, that victory over death, is something that we share in as followers of Christ. So we don't have to fear, but we can trust God. That's the first lesson. But also the second lesson is to love our neighbor practically in times like this. We should do this at all times, of course, but there's a particular opportunity the church has to witness to the gospel by loving our neighbor practically in times of great need. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all foolishly invite being infected with the coronavirus. Uh, That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying that this is a great opportunity for us to offer a different sort of response that's neither based in hysteria or panic or on the one hand or nonchalance on the other. I think that there's an opportunity to have a sort of witness, as it happened in the early church, that causes the church to be strengthened even through this crisis, to grow through this crisis. But I want to focus uh, a bit this morning on that first element, and that is what's basic, and that is trusting God in the plague. And I want us to look at Psalm 91. So uh, please open your Bibles and follow along as we're going to consider this psalm as it speaks actually to literal plagues. Uh, You will not fear, the psalmist says in verse 6, the pestilence, so that is the plague, that stalks in the darkness. And then the psalmist says, no plague shall come near your tent later on in the the psalm. So this is a psalm to sing. It's a prayer to pray in a time of pandemic. So what does it teach us? I want to highlight three lessons for us to consider this morning. Um, First, this psalm teaches us that the Lord is our place of stability in a time of instability. Now, we're not totally sure uh, who this psalmist is, but many think it is David because of the perpetual crisis that David found himself in. How many of you right now uh, wish life would just settle down a bit and become a little bit more predictable, even apart from the coronavirus? I know that I certainly would like that. Um, Who thought that we would be in this situation three weeks ago? Um, this, in some ways, even though it's been brewing for quite some time, it feels like the severity of it has, has hit us out of the blue. We need to hear the first verse of this song. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. This is how the psalmist responds to a crisis. If you think about crisis, what, what do crises do? They unsettle us. We strive hard uh, to get settled in our lives. So we finally get the house we want to live in. We move in. And then we get a little bit of buyer's remorse. We see those Zillow updates and we see something a little bit better that's popped up around the corner. 
get a job you think you want. And you think, oh, finally, I'm settled in a job that I want. But then you quickly realize it's not quite what you thought it would be. There's something better out there. You find yourself looking on monster.com at other job posting, and it creates a feeling of being unsettled once again. We try to be healthy. We do everything we can to be healthy, but something like a pandemic rattles us. What do we do? We want security. We want stability. Where do we find it? Our true and lasting place of stability is in the Lord. All else at the end of the day is uncertain. And so Christians have to learn through trial, through times of difficulty, to find our centering place, to find our stability in the Lord. We're going to get through the coronavirus. It may take some time. We will get to a point where we can take a deep breath and have some sense of relief from this crisis. But then something else will happen again, either globally or personally, that throws us into an upheaval. And in that moment, it's easy and it's understandable that we might want to panic. This is sort of the default response to instability. And it's also natural in these moments to find someone to blame, to find a, to find a scapegoat for what we are experiencing. But unless you have a transcendent reference for stability, you will never find stability in a world that is inherently unstable, in our lives that are inherently unstable. The psalmist makes this resolution. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. My exhortation, brothers and sisters um, of Church of the Holy Cross, it's straightforward. In this time, with all of your strength, make this your orientation right now so that you can say with the psalmist, so that I can say with the psalmist, I, Blake, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Self-quarantine, social distancing, this is how we're told we need to fight this virus right now. And we should heed the wisdom that is being given to us. And we should take these precautions. But Think about what it might mean to quarantine in the Lord in this moment by trusting him. The great church father, Athanasius, um, reflecting on this psalm, he said, quote, If you desire to establish yourself and others in devotion to know what confidence is to be reposed in God and what makes the mind fearless, you will praise God by reciting the 91st Psalm. This is a psalm that is meant to help us be oriented to God so that he becomes our stability. It's a psalm that helps us to remember in a world that is instable that God is our dwelling place. So the Lord is our place of stability in a time of crisis. But the second thing I want us to see is that the Lord is our place of security in a time of crisis. Verses 3 through 13 in this psalm, it's really picturing life as a journey that's going to a destination. And on that journey, there are lots of dangers that we encounter. We spend a lot of our time, we make a lot of efforts to carve out for ourselves a secure life. We want security, and this is a good thing. We want financial security. <laughs> you don't have financial security this week. There has been a 20% drop in financial markets since this pandemic has set in. We want relational security. 
Uh, we, we, we have all sorts of insurance policies. We want to live in safe places. We strive to find security. And again, this is completely understandable, and it's a good thing to pursue to have security. But there's another sort of security that this psalm is oriented towards. It's the most important kind of security, and that is a spiritual security from the triumph of darkness and death, and we might add disease. In verses 3 to 4, the psalmist turns to the congregation and says, Look, regardless of what you face, you need to find your security in God. Look to him for your ultimate deliverance and your ultimate hope. The early church um, in monastic communities would pray this psalm daily because it focuses our hearts on the Lord who is our ultimate security. Imagine if Psalm 91 became something that you pray daily to reorient yourself to your place of stability and your place of security. The psalm uh, in verses 5 through 6, it references these external threats that are either very real and present or on the horizon lurking or may come up. There's the noonday darkness that the psalmist talks about. By the way, the monks who would pray this psalm, um, often at noonday, um, they prayed this as a defense against melancholy, against depression. So the, sometimes depression is described as the noonday demon. It's the darkness that strikes right in the middle of a sunshiny day. This is a threat that we face that makes us unsettled. There are the terrors of the night that the psalmist talks about. There are attacks that come in our dreams. If you've ever had night terrors, uh, it's, it's quite a terrifying, terrifying thing, um, both to you and to those who might be sleeping um, in your vicinity, uh, to, to wake up in the middle of the night screaming. It's a wonderful prayer that we pray in our family with our kids quite regularly at night before bedtime. It goes like this, and it's from our prayer book. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. That's the spirit of Psalm 91 here, praying for protection through darkness, through the terrors of the night. There's the arrow that comes through day. There's the, the threat of being killed. And then the psalmist talks about the plague, the pestilence, the disease, the literally the thing that stalks in the darkness disease, epidemics, these are not new. These have been with humanity from the beginning since the fall. They're to be taken seriously because they are deadly. We do need protection from the plague that stalks in the darkness. So one of the things that Psalmist is saying here, he's sort of taking us through the course of a day. There's the noonday. There's the darkness of the evening. The Psalmist is saying, Lord, in all of my hours, be my protection. But the psalm is moving us to see that we need not just an immediate protection against the things that might assail us. The psalm is moving us to see that we need an ultimate protection. And I think that there's some strong hints in here that this psalm is not just some prayer that we would be protected from the immediate dangers, but that we would have an ultimate spiritual protection and security. So it talks about treading on the lion and the adder. Um, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Um, this uh, is likely not referring to literally treading on um, a, a serpent. Um, I think something more is going on here, and the psalm invites us um, with our biblical imagination to see it. Um, scripture talks about the devil 
as a roaring lion. The devil, of course, is identified as a serpent. When God is our fortress, death, devil, and disease cannot ultimately defeat us. They might score some victories. They might land some blows, but they cannot ultimately defeat us. Now, if you're reading this psalm, if you're anything like me, you might think, well, wait a minute. Is this like, is this like some kind of magical charm? If we just pray the psalm, then all of a sudden, you know, we're not, we're, we're not going to be hit by the coronavirus or we're not going to suffer any kind of darkness or, um, no, um, this is not some sort of magical charm that we can wear and then all of a sudden we are completely free from any kind of danger. Now, I do think that we can pray a psalm like this as a prayer for protection to be sure, but this psalm is oriented us towards something ultimate. Um, it, it, think about um, Satan and the temptation of Jesus. Uh, he tried to get Jesus to use a psalm in this way, a sort of a magic charm. But even when plagues come, even when thousands fall to your left or 10,000 to your right, as the psalmist says, even when, if, uh, or, or when you succumb to death, as we all will, whether it's we live um, to be a ripe old age or uh, it's, it's an unexpected early death. Um, what the psalm, I think, is showing us is as you have sought the Lord to be your security in this life, you will find him to be your eternal security in a life to come. As you make him to be your dwelling place now, even through suffering, even through toil, pestilence, that you might have to deal with in a very real way. But as you make the Lord your dwelling place in those moments, he will continue to be your dwelling place, even through death, even in the life to come. And of course, in the gospel, Jesus, he tells us that we will have trouble in this world but not to fear that he has overcome the troubles of this world. And he has come that through his death, and as we make Jesus our dwelling place, our abiding place, he offers us eternal life. Even those of us who will die on the other side, the gospel tells us that we have an eternal security in the Lord because the Lord is our ultimate deliverer. And if we look at verse 15 in Psalm 91, when he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. This psalm here is orienting us to this ultimate protection here. We have the, uh, in, in verse 15 and following, we have the, the Lord um, is responding to those who call out to him, to those who make him his, um, those who make the Lord their dwelling place. The Lord is our place of stability and security. Whom then shall we fear? Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul goes on to say that nothing, no trial, um, nothing uh, in heaven above or on earth below, um, COVID-19, the coronavirus, financial crisis, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Why? Because we are ultimately secure in God's love. Now, I think that this pandemic is an opportunity, as I mentioned before, for the church now, as pandemics have been in the past, um, for the church to offer something different, a different kind of response that is clear-eyed, sure, about the challenge before us, but also hopeful. People around us 
right now are overcome with complete anxiety and some hysteria. What will happen? How many people will die? You know, we, we, we're looking at charts and graphs trying to figure out the mortality rate for this thing. Uh, what's the real mortality rate? Is it higher than what's being advertised? Um, how long will schools be shut down? What about the economy? Um, are we on the verge of some complete economic collapse? Now, look, these are all valid questions, of course. But the church has something different to offer in times like this. We have a message that goes beyond the practical, that goes beyond, you know, wash your hands and stay at home if you're sick. You know, there's good advice that we should follow. We have a message that our God is sovereign at all times and even now. We need to remember that God is not scrambling to figure out how he's going to contain this virus. His sovereign plan encompasses even the bad things we experience. And mysteriously, the Lord works his will through it all. And nothing, again, nothing can separate us, no plague or death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that, especially in times like this. We have a message that relieves us from the fear of death. Uh, This is Lent. We began the season with ashes marked on our forehead. This is a morbid reminder that we will die. I will die. You will die. We will all die. Now, you may live your life quite long and die peacefully in your sleep at a ripe old age. You may get the coronavirus next week and be on your deathbed soon after. Or you may die in some other unexpected way, um, even sooner. The point is, it's out of our control. But you don't have to fear how or when it will come. This is the hope that Christians have. Um, Just as you have been marked with ashes at the beginning of Lent, you have also, Christian, been marked by water. This is the ultimate washing. You know, lots of talk about washing right now. Baptism is the ultimate washing. The water of baptism is another sign that we have received, that we are actually alive in Christ. We have been buried with him in his death, and we've been raised to new life with him in baptism. Lent is a journey to Easter. So in Lent, we have this remembrance of death, but it's a remembrance of death. We come to terms with our mortality. We have this remembrance of death, but it's a remembrance of death that leads to a great celebration. A celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated death and offers resurrection hope to all who place their faith in him. This virus, I think we should think of it as a Lenten virus. It has brought us to our knees. It is shutting down right now our country. Um, our institutions have, have been exposed as, as, as lacking in many ways. Um, we remember that even our best institutions, even the, the best experts, cannot protect us from everything. We need to remember our mortality. And that's a good thing for us to have to come to terms with and remember, particularly in a season of Lent. Because it calls us to remember that the true source of life is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life so that we can have life in him. So we can say in this moment with the psalmist that right now, with all of the uncertainty, all the unknowns, we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to sing 
clear-eyed as we are about the challenges in front of us, but with we, but still with joy to sing and to pray. My refuge, my God, in whom I trust, I will not fear the plague or death. Amen.